I feel like I sleepwalk through my life. And um, I'm so in tune and care about other people's agendas. I'll merge with anybody's mm -hmm. agenda. Mm -hmm. I mean, mostly my husband, but you know, if I'm with others, um, and I don't, I just don't put in my two cents. And at 56, <laughs> my nineness isn't working for me anymore. Mm -hmm. Like I say, it worked all during my motherhood years and, and and, but now it's just like, this isn't working. I, I have this one beautiful, blessed, precious life and mm -hmm. I feel like I'm asleep to it because mm -hmm. I don't know what I want. I don't want to, I don't even know what I want to do when I grow up. Welcome to the Story Enneagram Podcast. I'm Jim Gum, and I'm an Enneagram teacher and coach living in Kansas City. Today, we're going to explore what Chris, whom we heard in the opening, meant when she joked about not knowing what she wanted to be when she grows up. Enneagram type nines are called the peacemaker or the mediator. They use their body's senses to help create harmony and peace in the family, on the team, and at the office. Their theme song could be the 1969 hit Aquarius by the Fifth Dimension. It's a place where peace would guide the planets and love would steer the stars, and there would be harmony and understanding, sympathy and trust abounding. It's got peace and love and all the dreams of the late 60s rolled into one. Have you ever met someone who naturally can hold both sides of a dilemma and give them equal weight? Today, we're going to listen to stories of type nines in conversation to understand their mindset, their motivation, and the muddle they can find themselves in when they don't show up. Listen to how Jesse describes what it's like to be a type nine. So if I were a Star Wars character, I would be Yoda. <laughs> you know things. So I, I feel people when they enter a room before I see them. I can feel the energy that they are putting off. Um, I can sense that in a room. The, this is where I lose myself. If I'm in a room full of people, especially a team environment where we're working or in a family environment, and I'm like hyper aware of what everyone around the table is feeling and deeply aware of that but with zero awareness of what's going on inside of myself. And now here's Eric. I love the fact of being a nine, being able to help different people and different other numbers see other people's points of view. Because mm -hmm. I feel like I, I grasp that, I see it, mm -hmm. and I can also communicate that. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it just helps for other people to hear it in a different way. And I feel like that I can communicate that well. And sometimes mm -hmm. it, it feels really good to bring people together and help people to um, come to some resolution on mm -hmm. conflict when, when it can happen. Type nines, like type twos, are other referencing types. They build a sense of who they are in relationship to others. Whereas the two will pay attention to the other in order to make a connection, the nine is more akin to drifting and merging. It's what Chris called sleepwalking in the opening. The paradox of type nine is even though they're hyper aware and sensing what others may be feeling, they often lose track of themselves. 
As Jesse shared, it's a deep awareness of others and zero awareness of what's going on inside. Each of the nine Enneagram types is associated with a passion. For the nine, it's sloth. It's not a slothfulness that is lazy. Indeed, most nines are very active. The sloth shows up as a form of self-forgetting, going on autopilot, losing themselves out of habit in relationship or the situation. Listen to how Chris describes where life gets challenging for her. I think for me, it was um, a little bit humbling when I finally read all that the nine Enneagram was and realized how adverse to conflict I really am. And, um, you know, I'm married to a man who who has conflict a lot in business, and I've watched him grow in that, and he's really good at, at it. I have a dear friend that works with surgeons for a living, and she's had to embrace conflict. And, and I've always just kind of marveled at just how they have grown in their ability to do conflict. And I feel like I'm in junior high. Like, I mm-hmm. just avoid it at all costs. Mm-hmm. And here's Eric again. Along the similar lines, I think for me, being taken over by other people's agendas, some of it comes down to um, I don't want to disappoint people. Mm-hmm. And part of the problem is um, you can't, you can't please everybody at the same time, mm. you know? And so there'll be times where, you know, I'll make a decision. I know it's the right decision for me or whatever the circumstance is. Um, but if there's a relationship because of the decision that has that conflict or it's not at peace, man, that wrecks me. I mean, it really does. Like, you know, there's been times where I lost sleep at night because I'm thinking about the, the relation. I'm like, well, what, what should I have done? I know I did the right thing, but how could I have done it differently to make that, per-? you know, having those relationships disturbed is, is hard to, to move on from sometimes. Nines are great at sensing where the conflict is and gently trying to mediate the difference. They understand both sides of the problem. They have a sixth sense to wordlessly perceive the temperature of the room. If there's conflict, they want to mitigate it. This is where it can get difficult. Eric said that when there's a decision to be made and he's sensing the conflict, that it just wrecks him. Listening to both sides is the easier task. Boldly getting to resolution is hard. The nine wants to calm the situation down. Resolution often involves speaking up and being assertive. Some nines can feel like just stating their opinion or preference is adding fuel to the fire. All families naturally have conflict. Think about it. A family of three has three distinct individual relationships. For a family of four, it's six relationships. For a family of five, it's 10. And for a family of six, there are 15 individual relationships. The odds that all those relationships are conflict-free is unrealistic. Here's how Eric describes his childhood. Piggybacking off the family thing as I think about how I grew up. I grew up in a family with two older brothers and two younger sisters. And my mom's way of ordering the house was, you know, you, you follow rules and directions and that kind of stuff. And that was felt very easy for me. Like it felt like the right thing to do. So mm-hmm. uh, to keep order and peace and efficiency, that's, that's what you did. Um, I contrast that with some of my brothers and sisters who seem to um, try to make their own way in spite of some of those things. I'm like, why would you do that? Don't you see that you're messing up the system and like, it's not working. 
And here's Chris again. This story um, came to me not long ago where um, my parents were barely 20 years older than me when they had me, and they were still in college. Lots of parties happened at their house, their apartment, their house. And when I was old enough to remember these parties, probably four, five, six years old, um, my parents would tell this story years later, but I actually remember it happening, whereas their friends would always come to their house and party, and um, they would put me to bed, but I would always sneak out and just, you know, be invisible and listen and, you know, see what the adults were doing and, and not really even understand half the conversations. But they would all kind of spend the night there, sleep late in the morning, and I would get up before anybody was awake, and I would clean up the whole house empty the ashtrays, pour out the half, you know, drunk drinks, um, the smell of alcohol, all of it as this little, you know, four or five, six-year-old girl and just kind of bring order back to the house. And really my whole life has been about bringing order into kind of chaotic places. And it's just what I do. I was known for that. I got, uh, you know, kudos, approval for it. So it did, it felt... Like it was part of my DNA from the very beginning. Always trying to create peaceful situations. For Eric, the conflict caused by his siblings was messing up the system. It was hard to understand why they couldn't go along with the program. Chris naturally wanted to bring order to chaos as a young child. And this orientation felt hardwired into who she was as a person. Here's how Jessie described her childhood. Well, I think I started looking back. It, it was helpful looking back again at my family of origin and realizing I grew up in a household where there was a lot of conflict in my parents' marriage. And I had a very strong um, personality, older sister, very strong personality, younger sister, mm -hmm. who I did a lot of caretaking for. And so I was the glue and the mediator in the midst of all of that. I was the one who kept the family together. And I remember, like, I have this visceral memory of being a very young child and standing in between my parents while they were having an argument and yelling at them to stop and trying to explain each other's opinions to the other person. And I remember thinking, like, you're acting like... So immature. How old were like, you when this was very happening? Very young, like probably 10 or so, yeah. and being the mediator between their marriage and realizing it just never made sense to me why people would have conflict because I could so easily step in the shoes of other people yeah. and see their perspective, which is still part of my issue today because I can so easily step into the shoes of other people, but then I have a hard time discerning what I think or believe because I can see it from all the angles. And here's Chris again. I'm finding that because I'm pretty in tune, especially like in our large family gatherings, um, you know, there's just like so many different agendas and so many needs and little kids that need naps and all that kind of stuff. And so everybody wants to do something. The last thing I want to do is throw what I want in there because we're already trying to juggle and find mm -hmm, peace. Mm -hmm. But what I've discovered is usually what I want is the best thing. I'm so aware of everybody's mm -hmm. stuff, but darn if I'll 
speak up. Because mm-hmm. it feels like you'd be adding conflict, conflict in rather right. than right. resolution. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if I ever do say what I want, it's just not very loud. <laughs> and, uh, and, I, and I get walked on. Mm-hmm. You know, I just get, they don't hear me. Mm-hmm. But it's because mm-hmm. I'm not even able to say it in a way that's mm-hmm. like, no, this yeah. is what I want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very hard for me to mm-hmm. do that. But I'm learning that I... My family needs me to show up and mm-hmm. speak up and throw, you know, my part into the circle. Jesse said that even though it's easy to step into other people's shoes, it's very difficult for her to discern what she thinks or feels. Chris shares how it's difficult to speak up and be heard in the group. Even though she knows what could be best for the group, she hesitates. Type 9s have the same desire to create fairness as type 8s do. It's just buried. The growth path for the 9 is to make their voice heard and to resist the urge to fade into the background. I believe that 9s wake up in the morning with a clear idea about what's important to them and what they'd like to do. When they're alone, they can sense their power. However, when another person enters the scene or someone states a strong opinion, they begin to lose their power by unconsciously giving it away. The habit of type nines is going along to get along. They keep the peace, they don't make waves, and they naturally defer to others. Listen to how Jessie has learned to hold on to what's important in her life. So one of the huge things for me is I know I'm doing well. I finally got a planner that's been really helpful. You've seen my planner. (laughs) And part of what that planner does is it helps me prioritize at the beginning of the year the things that I care about, the things that I really value and want to work towards, and then make those the priority. So I can usually tell that I'm in a fairly healthy spot if um, in a weekly and monthly sort of way, I'm taking a lot of time and energy to think about what I want to prioritize. And I'm not in a very good spot, um, not in a healthy spot when all those big priorities for myself are blank and my calendar is full of other people's agenda items. That will be the thing that I slip into the very most easily. So if I'm not being thoughtful or aware, everybody else's agenda drives my time. Jessie has learned that she has to work hard to keep her main thing her main thing. Eric shares about the lesson he's learned. I think for me, um, one of the things I've learned is to uh, walk towards what I'm naturally wanting to walk away from. For instance, it's easy for me to um, buy into a false peace and a false harmony if it feels like everything's okay, when the right thing to do is to disturb that because the real peace and harmony is deeper yeah. than what the surface is. Wow. And naturally, I don't want to do that because it feels right. Mm-hmm. So if it feels right, don't disrupt it. Mm-hmm. You know, but what I've had to learn to do and still learning to do it, it's not easy, but is to not settle for that false peace, but to enter into conflict at times and dig deeper. And yeah, that feels uncomfortable. You know those times that you face something difficult and you just want to get it over with? It's easier not to make a fuss or be demanding. Nines don't want to make waves. They want to calm them. But as Eric says, the real peace and harmony is deeper than what's on the surface. And he's learning where the true peace can be found. 
and it's often on the other side of showing up. That's it for this episode of the Story Enneagram Podcast. And this wraps up Season 1, The Enneagram Types in Conversation. In a few months, I'll be launching the second season featuring each of the self-preservation subtypes. Reach out to me if you're interested in sharing your story with the greater Enneagram community. Thanks for listening to the Story Enneagram Podcast today. If you or someone you know is a nine and would like to explore how to show up more strongly in the world, you've come to the right place. Wouldn't it be great to share your thoughts and opinions without holding back? Visit my website at storyenneagram.com. I offer solutions for the workplace and training sessions for businesses, schools, and nonprofits. I also offer personal coaching packages for individuals or couples. Drop me a line and let's explore what the Enneagram can do for you. Please subscribe to the Story Enneagram podcast. Share it with your friends and family. And if you're really feeling it, leave a rating in Apple Podcasts. I'd appreciate it. Our music is by Daniel Gum. You can hear his music on Spotify or wherever you get your music. And yes, we do have the same last name. Story Enneagram, where learning your type is just the beginning of a whole new story.